Hello, testing, testing, one, two, three. Father, just thank you for Bruno, Lord. Thank you for what you have put on her heart. Lord, I thank you for her heart towards you as she is prepared, Lord, for the, the words that you want to say this morning. Prepare our hearts, Father, for your words as they settle and take root in the good ground. Father, may we, we know you in a deeper way, Father, today, through what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. How could you ever take him seriously? Like this? <laughs> You can't. I can tell from personal experience. Um, so uh, you've probably gathered that we're going to do things a little bit differently over the summer. And um, we, you'll be glad to hear, are going to keep things a little bit shorter. <laughs> it won't be 56 minutes this week. Um, but we hope to take this summer season to really begin to unpack and explore all of the different facets of worship. We feel as a lead team, that there's a lot more to be unlocked in the heavenly realms in this season for us, and that worship is a really key part to seeing that breakthrough come. And as I personally have prepared this message, um, I really sense that, that God's heart for us is that we would enlarge our view of him through worship as we engage our hearts more in his presence that we, we would be led into the deeper things of the spirit and that we would begin to unlock some of the strongholds that have held the people in our city captive for far too long. That as we dwell further into the passions of God's heart, he would impart those things back to us again and that we could see things begin to change. Because you see, God isn't solely seeking people just to sing songs. That's not what worship is. He's after our hearts, hearts that long to worship him from that innermost being, that part that's deep in us, because we were all created to worship. That's like our primary purpose in being here. Worship is one of the primary responses, responsibilities of us back towards God again. St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, says it best, much better than I can. He says, you've made us for yourself, O Lord. I think I have that. You've made, it, made us for yourself, O oh Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. We were designed to be fully open in relationship with Jesus. God's heart for us through worship is that we may be so taken up by the majesty of Christ that we become filled and then transformed by the fullness that he gives back to us. So I can't help but being a teacher and getting some dictionary definitions about what worship is. The first one is worship is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. That's all right. The next one is um, to worship is to have or to show a strong feeling of respect and admiration for God or a God. But the bottom one's the one I love the most. It says worship is reverent submission of our hearts to the spirit of God and to his truth. So the key verse that we wanted to look at over the summer is from the passage of um, Jesus meeting the woman in Samaria at the well. And it's quite a long passage, but I do feel it's really important, if you can bear with me this morning, that we read through this, just to place the whole verse into context, because we can cherry pick verses, can't we? You know, and I feel it's really important that we just keep it where it's meant to be. So are you ready? I'm going to go for it. <laughs> Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sachar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. 
A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Here's our verse. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I love this. I, who you speak to, am he. That was a long passage. I apologize. This key verse, though, really helps us understand the heart that is behind worship. And that really acts as our springboard into this summer series. I'm going to read it to you in a different translation just so that you get some different um, nuance of it. John 4.23, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship in spirit and truth. For they're the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The historical and cultural context is especially important to understand what this verse then means for us. So here you go. This is just for you. Um, the, nation of, or the nation of Israel, um, some of you probably know this, but for those of you who don't, um, was made up of the 12 descendants of the tribe of, of Jacob, okay? But after the death of Solomon, it split into the north and the south. The north becoming Israel, and the capital there was Samaria. And the south was Judah, made up of Benjamin and Judah. And um, the capital of that was Jerusalem. <clears throat> it kind of feels a wee bit familiar to me that we're talking about people of the same ethnicity splitting, doesn't it, in our country, you know, but... Um, this was the beginning of the division of the two groups. They disputed over who were the original and worthy descendants of their ancestor Jacob when both groups then, the Jews and the Samaritans, were taken captive by the surrounding nations. They were taken into exile. Um, some of the Samaritans had been left behind to work the land. And what happened then when many of the eligible bachelors and bachelorettes were taken away, um, they ended up intermarrying with um, foreigners who had come from those other lands. And that was something that was forbidden by the, the law of God. And um, as a result of that, when God redeemed those nations and brought um, them back again, um, 
the Jews really looked on the Samaritans as being really unclean and not worthy of God's love. So that was really, um, that cemented the strife, if you like, between the two groups. And then during the rebuilding of um, the walls in Jerusalem and the temple after those had gone into disrepair during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, the Samaritans weren't actually allowed to help the Jews rebuild the temple again because they were seen as unclean and people who weren't worthy of worshipping Yahweh in the temple. They then, as a result of that, created their own space to worship on Mount Gerizim. So in that passage when she asked Jesus about where the proper place to to worship was, that's what she's talking about on Mount Gerizim. The Samaritans worshipped him there. And there was significant strife and hostility then between the two tribes over the centuries. Kind of fits with where we live, doesn't it? You know, um, but God can redeem these things, as hopefully you'll see this morning. So over the years, the two groups disputed where the correct place was then to worship Yahweh. So when Jesus, who was a Jewish man, spoke with this Samaritan woman, not only was it a Jew speaking with a Samaritan, but it was a man speaking with a woman, he totally smashed and pulled to pieces all of the cultural, ethnic, and religious boundaries that have been put into place over the years. He just totally broke through those all. And so then at the beginning of the verse, when Jesus speaks of a time that's coming, it can also be referred to that phrase, the hour that is coming. And this phrase, the hour that is coming, um, hopefully you'll get what I'm trying to say here, is is more of a title of a time frame, okay? Um, It speaks of his death, his resurrection, and his ascension again. So this hour, this time period, and what he achieved, and that was the most significant time in the history of the world. It was a total turning point. It was that point when God had pursued people, and then through the death and the resurrection and the ascension, he gave us his Holy Spirit, and we were back in connection with God again. This standout moment was so pivotal, so totally pivotal in the kingdom, that it would totally encapsulate the heart of the Father towards his people. So there could be no more physical boundaries when encountering the presence of God. When Jesus accomplished what he did through the cross and resurrection, he was stating so clearly that the presence of God wasn't limited to the Holy of Holies in the temple that only the priests could access because it was covered by the veil. Remember, the veil was torn in two from top to bottom. And it wasn't on Mount Gerizim either. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. But the Spirit of God could not be hemmed in anymore. He had broken out He had gone through so many of the boundaries. You see, Jesus wasn't interested in the rules. He was just interested in hearts that were fully, completely yielded to him. What he essentially was saying was, worship doesn't take place in a temple anymore. It can't be contained. There is no more temple. There is no more exclusive priesthood where those guys are the only ones who can access the presence of God. There are no more altars to be sacrificed. And there are no particular clothing to wear. You can come as you are. There's no more incense and candles and ceremony about worship. Worship now takes place in the spirit realm, which the heart of every believer is actually a part of. That's why God can dwell in our hearts. It's no longer where and how worship had to happen, but through whom. Because Jesus himself is the temple, he says, um, after he drives the money changers out of the temple and he's um, challenged by some Jews, he says to them, destroy this temple. He's talking about himself. And I will raise it again in three three days. He's the temple now. It's through Jesus that we worship, through access in the spirit. So how are we to worship him? Well, we're to worship him in spirit and truth. So let's take a wee minute and unpack those a little bit further. When we worship him in the spirit, the root word for that is the word pneuma, which means breath, 
spirit, that Holy Spirit connection that comes deep within us, our soul, okay? Our spirit is that innermost part of our being, the part of us that connects with the Holy Spirit, the place, you know, from which deep calls out to deep. You know, when you groan from that innermost part, that's your spirit. And because God is spirit and we are made in his image, our spirit should ultimately always be that source through which our worship flows. And so when we worship God, we have access to him in and through the Holy Spirit. If he isn't the source, then it isn't really worship. It's just coming and singing some songs. And when we intentionally connect our spirit and worship with the Holy Spirit, it I can only speak for myself when I say this, but I think other people will agree with me about this, but it activates and it ignites something deep within our spiritual core to want more of God. You just want more of God when you connect with him. You get thirsty and hungry for more of him. David says in Psalm 84 verse 2, my soul, my inner life longs for and greatly desires the courts of the Lord. That's his presence. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. He is groaning from within himself that he knows God's presence is what he needs. We are designed for communion with God. But the fall is what separated us from us. We are all designed to be in a relationship with God. If you remember in Adam and Eve, that's why they were made. But the fall disconnected that all. And when we intentionally worship God from deep within our spirit, we are aligning ourselves back into that very thing that we were created for, back into that relationship with God that we were designed for. We are positioning ourselves in a place where we can seek his face and this bit, hear his voice. God's voice is available for every single one of us. It's not just the ones who come up here with a microphone and say something that sounds a wee bit holy. God's voice is accessible for every single person that's in here today and those beyond these walls. And so worshipping from this place, it draws us back to the heart of our Father and we can see more clearly who he is and then in turn we can see more clearly who we are. So the word truth, now I know I'm definitely not going to pronounce this right, Alethia, let's go with that. That means really our authentic, this is who I am deep inside me, the true, honest to goodness person that I am, that kind of authentic reality. And so when Jesus refers to us worshiping in truth, it's really important to remember contextually the Jewish people, and it's such a shame, but they'd really lost sight of the heart that was behind the law, the heart of the father <clears throat> seeking good things for his, king, his children, putting those boundaries into place to, to protect them. And what ended up happening then was that they ended up just really worshipping the letter of the law. That really led to rule-keeping, religious thinking, and rather than that intimate, vulnerable, life-given freedom that comes when you have a relationship with a father, they just felt if you do these things and don't break these laws, everything will be okay. But actually, that's not what it was about at all. You see, the intimacy of the moment when our hearts connect with God in that pure, honest, truthful way that happens through true worship that's when we can really fully be ourselves we don't need to pretend anymore we can come as we are because in true worship sin can't be hidden from God many of us and I really include myself in this we kind of live in this shadow reality of not always maybe being honest with ourselves and not always being vulnerable with God about what's going on inside of us but because Jesus is the truth and he is the reality, we begin to see that everything finds its true form through him. 
the God who tabernacles among us in the flesh. So the reality of worshipping in truth is that we're actually worshipping in the sanctuary of God's presence, which is this beautiful, awesome privilege. Because when we do that, and this should be the objective of everybody who loves Jesus, we become transformed into his likeness. That's what happens in true worship. We get that privilege of becoming more like God. Again, this was that original design for each one of us to be open with God despite all the internal mess that we're all carrying. And through worship, we realize all over again that we are sons and daughters of the King. So when we worship in spirit, we bring the essence of who we are as people made to connect with something that is just so far beyond ourselves. And when we worship in truth, we bring right where we are in the very moment with all of the mess that each one of us are carrying. In truth, we are choosing to let everything that we are fall before the face of the Father. And when we realize that we have been called into this beautiful, divine, holy relationship for which we were originally designed, we see that the covenant love that he has for us, and then we respond to that with wholehearted devotion. Worship is not limited to a physical place. But worshiping in spirit and truth is more of a posture of our heart towards the Father. Jesus then goes on to explain that the Father seeks out those who are true worshippers. That caught my heart when I, when I read this passage again. I just Something in me just jumped for joy. God's active. He is actively looking, searching. He's not just having a wee glance all around, right? He's actively and intently searching for hearts like this. And here's why. He knows that those are the hearts that he can do something with. He knows that those are the malleable hearts that he can work in and then work through. These hearts that are open to allowing him to do his work, those are the ones who'll learn to listen to his voice above everybody else's. And those are the ones that he'll use to build his kingdom through. Because God's always motivated by love. His goal is that we become like him. So it's not praise where we come and we sing about God. It's worship where we come and sing from deep within us to him. He's seeking our worship, not because he needs it, but actually we're the ones who need it. When we worship, that's when he gives us himself. I don't know about you, but my goodness, every day I need God. I need God. Greg Boyd says it really well. He says, the God of overflowing love longs to pour his love into others. So he created beings that long for his love to be poured into them. He's the only thing that can complete us. He to us from the depths of his own being, which is deep, rich, pure, unadulterated love. It's where we find our fullest expression in life. We know that he's the only thing that can complete us, don't we? And that comes through worship. So why do we worship? I'm sure many of us are familiar with that verse in Romans 12. Worship is us giving ourselves back to God again as living sacrifices. It's therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We can give ourselves as a living sacrifice back to God when we fully engage in spirit and truth worship because that's where we remind ourselves who the king is. It's that place in which he reminds us then of our true identity as children of the most high God, joined heirs with Christ. 
it's that place in which we wholeheartedly declare our allegiance to the King of Kings. And when we align ourselves back under his sovereignty, it becomes then this natural overflow of our heart to offer our body and mind as a living sacrifice to God. When you connect with God in that moment, you realize that you're made for something. You realize that there's a divine purpose on your life and you can't, it just happens. When you get there into that place, all you want to do is just commit yourself to him and give yourself back to him again. So if these things don't happen, and I say this as gently as I can, but it's so much of a challenge to me, even this morning in the carnage of our house before we even stepped out. But if these things don't happen, if that's not the response of our heart, we'll have to honestly ask ourselves, are we honestly really worshiping in spirit and truth? Is that, what, is that is what's going on within us? Because remember, those are the hearts that the Father's seeking. Those are the ones that he can do something with. We need to be so mindful in life that, you know, um, through the journey of life, that the, even if the compass of our heart is off just one or two degrees from our true north, it should be God. Over time, we can end up veering so far off what the course of our life should be that we end up really quite far from God. And so in true deep desire worship, that's when we follow really hard after Jesus and pursue his ways with everything that's within us. That's when we take our eyes off of ourselves and we find that true alignment again. We find that proper direction again. Because worship is always an undiluted, pure, passionate pursuit of Jesus. That's, that's really simply what worship is. And so when we see then the privilege and the purpose of worship, it's our responsibility to engage our hearts and lives in the fullest ways that we can. Bill Johnson says, worship is more than a song we sing. Worship is the expression of our heartfelt response that we, that we give to God that places the value back onto him. We can all just get so consumed with what we need to do this week and what we need to achieve this week and everything that's going on in our lives. But actually, when we see God back again for who he actually is, we remember that it's not about us at all. And we fall into that place, again, that divine purpose of what we're supposed to be here for. I felt it was really important this morning as well to touch into this one. What is it that we worship as we springboard into this series? What is it that we find ourselves worshiping? <clears throat> this can be a bit convicting. I've personally found this very convicting this week. And I know that I speak on behalf of myself when I say I have to do this a lot. <laughs> because life takes over and I have to do this a lot. So if you do too, great. You're not on your own. But we benefit greatly from examining our own hearts and being honest enough with ourselves about where the allegiance of our heart is lying at the moment. Some of us can be a lot more passionate about football than we can God. We can get a lot more animated when we're watching a match and it's not going the way we want it to. And it just comes out of us because we love our team. And I'm not just talking to football supporters, right? Okay. We can be more passionate about our children and more consumed about thinking about our children than we can God, our work, <clears throat> politics in our country, politics are thinking on Brexit. We can get a lot more animated when we talk about those things than we can about our Heavenly Father who loved us first before we loved him back again. But as we give God the worship that he's longing for, it helps to realign those things which have taken his place in our hearts. They aren't necessarily bad things. I'm not, my goodness, I'm not saying like, don't love your kids. That's not what I'm saying. Or don't do your work well. Or don't support a football team. I'm not saying that. But when those things take priority over God and our hearts, 
and take the central place, we have to ask ourselves, well, what is it that we're becoming transformed into? Whatever takes predominance in our heart is really what we worship. And if it isn't Jesus, then can I tell you, because I have to tell myself this a lot, we're missing out. We're totally missing out because worship is the interchange between the revelation of God in our hearts and then our appropriate response to that revelation to buy in all that we are before all that he is. Again, C.S. Lewis says this, in commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. Worship becomes that vehicle through which the focus of our heart falls back into place again and it becomes rightly ordered again. Worship is the primary part of our spiritual formation. We are privileged, privileged to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. We are so privileged by that. God's presence used to be confined to the Holy of Holies. Now we have access to it. Now what a privilege it is to become more like Jesus. Psalm 63, David uses phrases like this, David, a man after God's own heart. He says, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole being longs for you. He actually says in between that, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He is so thirsty. That's how he feels when he hasn't connected with God. Because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. He goes on in Psalm 86 to say, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart, for great is your love towards me. David understood that the cry of his heart, his whole heart needed to be reordered. His whole being needed to long for God. So in worship, we are reordering our hearts to the way they were originally designed to be, where we dwell less in ourselves and more on how incredible, worthy, holy and mighty God is. The affections of our heart then become reordered again so that love and desire for God flows through us back to him again. So as he flows into us, and we see him as he is, we d- you can't help but give it back to him again. And in that process, that is when we become formed into his likeness. We aren't made to live without this. If you take anything away today, would you let it be this? We aren't made to live without this relationship with God, where we are being constantly transformed to be more like Jesus. Worship is the expression of our enjoyment of God and our acknowledgement personally and corporately as a body of who he is and what he has done for us. John Piper, full of the quotes today, John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I know, like, when we come here on a Sunday, everybody has had their tough stuff to work through. Your week might not have been necessarily a great week. Um, You personally might be journeying through some pretty grim stuff. But can I tell you the story? Um, when Philip Emerson's first wife, Jill, died, um, I was at the funeral, and I have never seen anything like it. His whole family stood in the front row while Jill was in a coffin in the aisle. And they had their hands raised in worship to God on the morning of their mummy's funeral. If ever they had reason not to worship God, it was that day. But they chose in the midst of their pain and in the midst of their grief to still say that God was good. To still say that he was on the throne. 
to still decide in those moments that they were going to worship him, that they were going to give their hearts back and realign their hearts back into his again. And God has beautifully redeemed that whole family. Um, but I've never seen anything as powerful and as moving <laughs> in my whole life than to see their whole family in the front row worshiping God on the morning of their mummy's funeral. So when our hearts proclaim the kingship of Jesus, the presence and the power of his kingdom then come. His rule and his reign become available to us. His love and purposes for mankind come and then we see the liberation of the sons and daughters. Isn't that what our heart is as a church? That we would see the liberation of the sons and daughters, us and the people out there. <clears throat> that only comes through through true spirit and truth worship. I toyed a lot with showing a clip and I didn't do it. I'm kind of regretting it now. I don't know if anybody watched Glastonbury last week. Um, there's a very colourful character who does grime rapping and I I, mean, I don't even know what grime is. I don't even know what's a thing, right? He's called Stormzy. <laughs> and like I say, he's very colourful. He would use language that I wouldn't use and when he's doing his songs. And, well, I wouldn't be doing the songs he's doing anyway. I wouldn't even know where to start. But he has this incredible song called Blinded by Your Grace. He was the headline act in Glastonbury. Everybody in Glastonbury last Friday night were... They didn't even know they were worshipping God. They had their hands in the air. He who was on his knees in front of the world, worshipping God, giving the glory back to him again. If you want to look it up, go to, it's, on, it's on BBC iPlayer, but it's part two of Blinded by Your Grace. It, it was so anointed. I nearly wept in the living room when I watched it. I just thought, oh my goodness, these people have their hands in the air, in the air and they're saying, I'm blinded by your grace. And they didn't even know what they were doing. So like I say, I, I'm not, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say go and let your kids listen to his music. Definitely don't do that. But something incredible happened last Friday night in Glastonbury. Worship the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you the Holy Spirit broke out there that night. So if I invite the band back up onto the stage, I'd love to pray a wee minute. Caroline said something to me really beautiful this morning. Uh, it's from Dave Wiley, so I can't take the credit for this. Okay. Could you take go one step further and worship this morning? If it makes you really uncomfortable to lift up your hands, you don't have to lift, lift up your hands. Somebody once told me, I think I was about 18, and when we were on Union Street in Lurgan, they pointed me out in the crowd and they said, Bruno, lift your hands up. Being a teenager, I went like this. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> and because you told me to, I definitely won't. We're not going to make you do that, right? But could you go that one step further? If you've never closed your eyes before, maybe close your eyes. It helps you to focus on God. If you've never lifted your hands, could you maybe lift your hands to this point? Because it's a posture of your heart that you're ready to receive from him. Because the heart that wants to give us this morning is one that we can trust fully. He's not going to do anything to you that is going to make you not trust him. He's not going to give you anything this morning that is going to make you um, feel uncomfortable. This is about your relationship with God. So we're not going to make you do anything that you don't want to do. And it's not even through the act of lifting your hands, but can I tell you, there's liberation comes through that because you personally and yourself don't feel like you're being held back by what other people think anymore. I can guarantee you that nobody's looking at you. But if from deep inside you, that soul, deep spirit place inside you, you feel like this morning, I want to give back to God what he has given to me this morning that you want to receive for him. 
as we come to this place of worship this morning, push through a wee bit. Be brave within yourself a wee bit. Because that's good, honest to goodness, spirit and truth worship. Can I pray? God, you are so good. You are so worthy. You are so faithful. And this morning, Father, we just invite your spirit to come. And may we build a throne as we lift your name, God. May we build a throne this morning. Would hearts come to trust your heart toward them more today? Would hearts this morning come to receive more of the love that you have for them that wants them to become transformed into the likeness of Jesus? Come with your fullness this morning, Father. And raise up boldness in our hearts this morning, God, that we, we want to cry out back to you again that you are a good Father, that you are a holy, that you are a heavenly Father who wants good things for us, God. We love you, Lord, and let our praises and worship this morning tell you that in your name. Amen.